Testing. Testing. Hey guys, it's Will and Keith. I'm Keith. And I'm Will. And I'm Will. Oh God. <laughs> oh, you are amazing. This podcast is amazing. The, the microphone just just set itself on fire. I love this podcast already. <laughs> Will and Keith embrace the process. <laughs> Welcome back to we, Will and Keith embrace the process. We're happy to be here. We are reasonably happy to be here. I'm about to pour the coffee, and then we will be much happier. Thanks for inviting me on the show, Keith. I've oh, it's a pleasure to have you, Will. A long-time listener. I, first time caller. <laughs> well, I'm really anxious to hear more about uh, what you've been up to. Mostly I just eat Dutch babies and play over <laughs> play Overwatch on Nintendo Switch. I'd like to clarify for our listeners that when Will says Dutch babies, he does not mean infants from the Netherlands. He's talking about an actual food item. Yes, it's it's uh, I, you just ate some. I did and it was delicious. It was sort of like a popover cooked in a cast iron pan in the oven. Yep. It was very popover like and we put some raspberry jam on it and it was superb. Yeah, what's the story with this raspberry jam? It's a it's a, uh, a home written label. So I don't remember. It's probably from some dear friend who gave it kindly, and I can't remember who it was. If you're listening, raspberry jam person, I apologize and I love you, and please send more jam. It was delicious. I would pay seven dollars for that. It's very good. Is it seven dollars? Uh, on the back, it has a seven dollar price tag. Yes. Oh, I didn't see that. Oh, you know, me. I might have gotten that. I think I actually know where I got that. It was not a friend. I got it in Vermont on my mortal enemy. My, it was from yeah. It was an enemy of mine who runs a nice general store in Vermont. Uh, yeah, back in September, I felt like I needed to get out. Oh, I remember that. So I went up to Vermont just for a couple of days, and I stopped at this cool, ancient general store in the. T- tiny little town in the middle of nowhere in Vermont, and I found out later it was a town where Robert Frost had spent years and years, oh. or at least during the summers he was up there. I uh, can't remember the name of the town. I think it might have been called Ludlow, but it also might have been something else. Uh, and it was just this amazing little, you know, the kind of store that's still also a post office, and they have oh, this, great. this bank of those old-fashioned post office boxes in the back, and you're like, that's got to be for show. That's for decoration. It's real. Then right. while you're standing there, someone comes in and gets her mail, and you're like, oh, I, I guess not. I guess Vermont is still Vermont. Uh, that was one of the highlights of that trip, actually, just that random little stuff. I think that's where I got that jam. Well, it was delicious. Thank you for Thank you that to back. Vermont. Yeah, thanks, Vermont. Thanks, Ludlow, for that, whatever that town was. For that and for Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> No comment. Anyway, uh, we're, we're drinking Baileys with our coffee, which is very exciting. Yep. We're indulging ourselves. Uh, and we're back with Will and Keith Embrace the Process, and our first order of business is to do a little catch-up on the Falcon and the Winter Soldier show. Yes. So we've now had episode three, just came out last week. Mm. Uh, we've had a lot of fun with it. It sure did. <laughs> Well, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know when this episode will come out, but it came out last week for us. Ah, for you, it came out probably two weeks ago. Probably two weeks ago. Uh, but it was episode three, and it was the one with with Zemo, where uh, he, he enters the plot in a big way. And uh, what did you think? I thought there were definitely some strong points. <laughs> okay. Um, but also some weak points. Well, what I really loved was, um, I mean, there was a lot to like about it, but a standout scene for me 
was just when they were um, driving the car into um, Madripoor. Madripoor. It had a very, it had this really futuristic sort of Blade Runner vibe thing yeah. going on that I, I really, it really caught my eye. And um, obviously that's just a sort of stylistic thing. But also the fact that, you know, these, this, these three guys who, you know, two of them actively hate one of them. And mm. then those two also don't really like each other that much. Right. Um, and, uh. That was just a really great scene for me. It really like really atmospheric, and they're going over that bridge, and the music's yeah. really dark. Isn't that the moment when they're driving into town, and then all of these motorcycles like converge on the car? Yes, and surround it. That was a cool image. I'm still not sure I understand whose motorcycles those were, but it was a really cool moment. <laughs> yeah, it sort of tapers off after that, which is kind of what sort of let me down. Mm. Like I was like, oh, this is going to be really cool. And then the motorcycles just sort of park, and then they just, like, <laughs> go to the club. Right. I, I guess it was their escort. Yeah. From from the club people? I didn't completely follow it. Yeah, I don't... What... I, what, I don't think they really fleshed out Madripoor very well. Yeah. It's like they go into a dance club. They go into a place called the Princess Bar, which is a reference to Wolverine Comics. Oh, right. I'm thinking of the second the second scene. So the first scene is the Princess Bar. I thought they were in the Princess Bar the whole time. Well, they go to the first place, and then they meet with the ex-Shield agent. Hmm. And then they go to a dance party. Oh, and I right. wasn't sure if it was the same place or not. Okay, I see what you mean. Yeah, I was all excited when I saw... Well, first of all, when I saw Madripoor, and mm-hmm. then when I saw Princess Bar, because those are both places that, you know, especially Princess Bar, is like, that's Wolverine owns that bar. Oh, in, really? In the X-Men comics, yeah. And uh, it's actually my favorite, probably my favorite era for Wolverine. It's when all the X-Men are thought to be dead, and they all have to be undercover, and he adopts this new identity as Patch, mm. which is just him wearing an eye patch. Uh, and then he runs a bar in Madripoor, and he's sort of, it's sort of like almost a Casablanca vibe, where he'll wear a white tux, and he's all cynical and, mm. and disillusioned. And uh, but he had all these adventures in Madripoor that were that were kind of self-contained. It was like the stakes were maybe a little lower than the average superhero adventure, and it was a lot of scuzzy low lifes, and it was a lot of uh, organized crime. And yeah. Madripoor was like a character in and of itself, and I love. Those comics it's really some of my favorite stuff. So what did then? What did you think about the Madripoor scenes in this episode? I feel like the depiction of the city w- was cool. Like mm-hmm. it was, it was convincing. It was compelling. I'd love to know where they actually shot that stuff. It looked like maybe Shanghai, but I don't know. Um, yeah, it reminded me of the shots they did for the last season of Westworld, which I think was in Singapore. I have not seen the last season of Westworld. It's true that Madripoor is originally inspired by Singapore. Mm. Uh, I did, it didn't look like Singapore to me, but I've only been to Singapore once, so and that was years ago. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I, I spent at least ten minutes of the episode just really hoping that Wolverine would show up, which would have been crazy, <laughs> right? Because he hasn't even been introduced into this continuity. Yeah, but we're all, that's, we're all sort of on the edge of our seat wondering right. it, if it, and when the X-Men will show up. Yeah, it comes back to our conversation about WandaVision, right, yeah. where they sort of tease that possibility. 
And once again, I felt like they were teasing that possibility. And I just kept waiting, like, maybe we'll re- or maybe even just one of his supporting cast will show up, you know? Maybe Tiger Tiger will show up, or I don't, I don't know who else is. Archie Corrigan. There's all these, all these characters that really just belong to that very specific uh, era. And, uh, and then none of that happened. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they did a great, a great job of introducing the city. Mm. It felt very... It had a lot of gravity. Yeah. And I could feel that. Yeah. But then the storyline inside the city, I think for me, just kind of fell flat a little bit. It was... Like, there's a whole montage of, like, the dance party, and everyone's, like, <laughs> waving cocktails around, like, yes! And then they're, like, it cuts, and they're in a storage uh, storage container harbor. And, yeah. And uh, Falcon says something like, man, they really know how to party. <laughs> <laughs> like, womp womp. Yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I liked the episode. I liked it a lot, actually. I, you know, I think what I'm liking about the show is that it... It has a pace. It has a velocity. Mm. There's always something new happening. The character of Zemo is really fun. The actor's having a lot of fun with it. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I guess we part company here, I thought. No, I like the... I, I, just, I should say, I one of my least favorite things in, in film and TV is party montage. But it was really short, the yeah, party montage. I know, but it, it's just, it really rubs me the it's wrong way. It's just there as a transition. Yeah, but... So here's, the, here's, why, here's what I... What, they spent so much time showing this dance party, and they spent no time showing how they got from the dance party to the storage containers. They're like, here, come over here, and they walk to the edge of the room, and then all of a sudden, they're outside in broad daylight, like, oh, man. Yeah. So so you wanted more scenes of them getting in and out of vehicles, or getting lost, or having yeah, to ask for directions. Getting dressed. Or just, Have you seen the storage container? I guess it's just when, when a story's moving along and people make choices on what they'll spend the two minutes on, mm. and if they spend it in the wrong place with stuff like that sort of sensational montage that has nothing to do with anything, it sort of gets me in a bad mood. But we did get approximately one second of Zemo dancing, and wasn't that worth it? <laughs> wasn't that worth the price of admission? It was okay, yeah. Yes. That's the moment that I think has become... Man, these Madriporians really know how to party. (laughs) These Madriporians, they're partying all the time. My name is Zemo. Um, When he put on the mask and was kicking ass, that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I like what they're doing with that character. He's fun. He's interesting. He's a little scary. Uh, And you you get the strong feeling like Sam and Bucky are way over their heads. Like The fact that they're palling around with Zemo at all, Mm. uh, it's, it's an extremely bad idea. They... I think they're, for the right reasons, they're making very bad decisions. And that's exciting to me. Yeah. Uh, I can't wait for the other shoe. <laughs> it's like watching my life. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's, it's very much why I enjoy what will spectating your next? life. Yeah. What sort of boneheaded error? Um, and who's the, who's the S.H.I.E.L.D. agent? What's oh, Sharon Carter. Okay, and so she appears and is sort of seeming like a kind of superficial character... Um, like she's like, hey, I'm just here, and then she's kicking ass, and um, then at the last minute, she sort of hops in the car with someone else, mm. and then signals that she's that there's another layer to her story. Yeah, what what was going on there? Who, I don't. Who I don't, did she get in the car with? Um, I an unidentified female character. Yeah. Um, and yeah, she says sure we is. have a problem. 
Okay, yeah, so that's, okay, so she's going to come back. So that's ominous. She's definitely become a darker figure while she was off screen. Mm. Uh, she, maybe she's resents the dance party. She really resented well. the dance party. Yeah, I think she's that, like, let's get out. Let's well, go and she's the... upset that she's been in Madripoor for two years and she hasn't seen Wolverine. She's like, where's Patch? <laughs> I thought the whole point of Madripoor was Patch. Where is Mr. Patch? Um, yeah, I, I wasn't completely convinced by her kind of turn into cynicism. Uh, maybe it's the actress. I didn't... It, it, it felt forced, but maybe it's supposed to feel forced. Maybe you're supposed to feel like Sharon's acting like a cynic, but she's not really a cynic. Mm. Um, it will be interesting to see what happens with her. Um, we probably shouldn't spend too much time because we have a full topic to get mm. to. Um, but, but I'm still very much enjoying that show. I'm very excited to see what happens next. Would you have any concluding thoughts on that before we move along? Um, no, it is a good show. I'm enjoying it. I look forward to, to, to seeing where it's going. Um, I think, um, when the, when the two, uh, duos come back together, I think that's going to be some fireworks. Yeah. Um, Captain, the new Captain America is sort of striking out on his attempt of, of following leads. And these guys are, like you said, in over their head making some terrible choices. Yeah. And uh, the new Captain America is, is, says something that they're going to, he's going to bet on a better hand, which you assume means he's going to find those two. Right, which is also what he did in the previous episode. Like, the only idea he ever has is, let's follow the Falcon. That's literally his one plan. I, I think I have an idea. <laughs> is it the same idea you had last time? Maybe. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it will be fun. It, one thing that struck me about this episode was, when we took a moment to check in with characters who were barely in it, it reminded us that they were barely in it. So like, we, we barely saw John Walker, yeah, and that's fine, but the fact that we saw him a little reminded us of how little of him we saw. Do you know what I mean? If he had just hadn't been in that episode at all, you would have been like, fine, they're off doing something else. Yeah. But he appears just long enough to remind you that we've kind of dropped him for the moment. And the same thing is true with, uh, is it Torres, who's uh, Sam's liaison with the Air Force? Like he oh, was, he, was he in that episode? I, I think he, he has like one line or something, mm. or Sam says something to him. He's in it even less. And again, it's like, I almost wish you hadn't reminded me that character existed, because the fact that you took the time to remind me only made me miss him more. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that might be my one gripe with the episode, is that, is that the ti- I felt like the timing was a little off, and maybe some of the choices weren't as strong as they could have been mm. to, to make the episode sort of achieve what it, what it, I feel like it should have been. It was mm. a good episode. I feel like it could have been a great episode. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, maybe it's, uh, maybe it's building up to, yeah, to something. Um, it definitely is. It definitely is. I think, I mean, once again, the production is great. Yeah. Um, it looks great. Um, there's it's it's strong. I'm just you know splitting hairs. No, and you should you right should now. of course you should nitpick, um, but I do really like the show and uh, I like the vibe of it. it. Has a very particular tone. It has a very particular style, and uh, I think that's all really good. Yeah. Excellent. Well, should we move on into our main topic of the day? Yeah. Let's 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 do it.
Great. So you assigned me to catch up on one of your favorite anime shows. Yes. Which is Fooly Cooly. Yeah, it's my, it's my number one. Your number one anime show. I mean, it's it's um, it's a sentimental choice. I don't think it's the best um, in, in, you know, there's so many genres and there's, there's more sort of expansive stories with maybe higher quality animation, etc. But this... This one really stands out to me as just being so different and, yeah. and well done. I, different and, and successful and, and being different, which I think is really cool. Right. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you got into anime in the first place? I mean, was this kind of one of your gateways? This was definitely a show that really brought me in. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I had seen um, you know, a lot of uh, sort of Dragon Ball Z and uh, Akira and uh, Ghost in the Shell, which are great, but but they're, they're, um, this was the first show that showed me that anime could be more than just cool animation and a cool sci-fi story. Right. It can be... This is like a... It's, it's like a, a very sort of postmodern... It's a show, and they joke about being a show, and it's sort of riffing on like the tropes of anime, but also, um, I think it also just works successful as a story, mm-hmm. um, which it it really just stood out to me and really uh, got me fired up, yeah, and and dragged me deeper, um, and probably was a big reason that I became an uh, an avid anime fan and not just a a passerby, right. This may be a question that's too big to really answer, but good. Uh, let's Where go do we it. go when let's we die? <laughs> yeah. What What is the purpose of all this? Why is consciousness? I guess that's my question. And if you could just answer that in about fifteen seconds, then we'll take a commercial break. Uh, no, I was just wondering: is there a way that you could summarize, at least for yourself, what the appeal of anime in general is? And what's unique about it, or or what's special about it? Um. There's a few things. One is, um, if you have an appreciation for hand drawn animation, yeah, there there is a lot of CG in anime, um, um, but if you have an appreciation for hand drawn animation, this is this is like the the wellspring. There's right. just so much of it, um, and it's well done. And you know there are simple sort of tactics that people use to sort of rush through you know people's profiles look like a sort of curling bracket hmm. all the time. Um, but but um, the work that goes into them, I think, is very impressive. Um, and it's just such a phenomenon, too. It's just, it's just so interesting that just there's this country that, for whatever reason, feels the need to just put out boatloads of animation. Yeah. And just there's just hordes of, of people working on these projects. It's just so cool. I guess we should probably explain for those listeners who don't know that when we say anime, we basically just mean Japanese animation, right? Yes. That's pretty much interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it is a, it's a, uh, I don't know if it's a genre or a style or both. I guess it's a style of animation that really comes out of Japan. And it's been influential worldwide, but, uh, you know, it's, Japan is still very much yeah. the wellspring of, of real anime. Yeah, we, I think we talked about this on one of our first episodes or maybe this didn't even make the cut how 
you know, so for instance, someone who likes to watch The Last Airbender, mm-hmm. if you like that show, you should go to the source right. and watch some real, real anime. Yeah, well, that's an extreme example of a show that I think a lot of people, myself included, just assumed was Japanese. Mm. It looks so Japanese. It feels like it fits so much. Having not actually watched it, but just <laughs> just sort of being aware of the show, uh, I would have just assumed that it did come from Japan and that it was dubbed. Which is interesting. Into English. To me, when I see it, I instantly know right. the animation style is not is not anime. Yeah, you're. I guess you're much more. Well, for one thing, you've actually seen it. And not just clips. Yeah, I haven't seen the whole thing. I, I did enjoy it, but it's not it's not really... Um, and it's like there's there's animation coming out of China also, which mm. is, like, I can always tell right away. It's it's just not the same. Right. Um, and it, 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 it could just be that, you know, you once you watch enough anime, you like what you're used to. Sure. And, and um, but if you do like animation and you like things like The Last Airbender... Or Wack Fu was a South American anime on Netflix. Huh. Really cool. Um, um, really well done. Re- I, d- I would recommend that also. But Wack Fu. Yeah, not anime from South America, but in that style. Okay. Really high production. Really, um, I can't remember if it's Brazilian um, or something else, but but um, yeah, go try try the real stuff. There's tons of genres. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that's one remarkable thing about Japanese animation, and again, it may be something that not a lot of people are aware of, that in Japan, animation can be everything. It's for every age group, it's every genre. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, yeah, there's a lot of sci-fi, there's a lot of fantasy, and a lot of it's for kids or teenagers, but there's stuff for adults, you know, there's stuff that's very erotic, there's stuff that's very intellectual. Wait, there's erotic anime? Apparently there's even some <laughs> erotic heard. anime. Um, well, obviously, it crosses over with manga, which are Japanese yeah. comics, and a, a lot of manga are anime, and a lot of anime are manga. But basically, cartoons in Japan have a place in society that's just much wider, right? I think most Americans feel like uh, like it's more or less for kids, and then there are a few outliers, maybe. Yeah, and then there's like The Simpsons and and Family Guy. There's comedies, right? But there's you know there's heavy adult dramatic anime it's so i mean usually the more adult stuff is adult because it's violent yeah or or sexual but um isn't that just interesting it's that, fascinating that there's that culture it's that just totally fascinating our love animation yeah no it's really and, and japan in general is really fascinating i mean i don't know a ton about it um but i know enough to know that it's a very very unique culture you we were talking earlier about how it's an island it's uh, in a lot of ways, still kind of insulated. Like, you know, obviously, uh, Japan's a big economy. They do business with the whole world. But their culture is still kind of protected. You know, they went through a period for like 150 years where officially there was no contact with the outside world. Mm. Unofficially, it did happen. But they're, you know, from, I don't know what it is, like 1700 to 1850, they were just closed. But, you know, that was the idea. Kitchen like, can't come in, you can't come out. It's <laughs> over. Um, and I think that streak of isolationism is still there to some extent. Like, like as you and I were, were discussing, mm. Japanese people are very, very interested in Japan. You know, like, they, they have a very specific set of, uh, of values. And obviously, they're also hugely influenced by Western culture, but they usually, they usually do their own thing with it. Yeah. And anime would be a good example, actually. The, the early anime pioneers were all inspired by Western animators. 
but then they developed a style that was so distinctive that eventually, decades later, it comes back and starts influencing Western animation. Yeah. So there's this cool kind of feedback loop that happens. Um, you know, every it seems like everything Japanese people do, they're able to do it with some kind of unique Japanese spirit. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's really... I don't know. It's fat. You can see why people become Japanophiles. You know, you can see why there's a whole world of geekdom that's just, you know, often Westerners who are just obsessed with yeah. Japan. Yeah, I'm not quite there. Yeah, I don't. I don't go. I I don't go really beyond the 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 anime product. Right. Um, uh, maybe you know some video games, mm. but I don't. Um, I I don't watch uh, live action shows or look up. Uh, and music, obviously. Mm. The, the pillows, yeah, doing the soundtrack for Fuli. Yeah. What do you think of that? The, amazing, the, so good. The right? soundtrack was so great. Uh, yeah, there and then again, like similarly, it's a very, it's a very Western inspired band. I think of them like the Japanese Beatles, but like n- new. Yeah, they have a sort of this melodic sing songness, but they're rocking. Yeah, yeah, I I loved that that music, and I think. It plays a pretty crucial role in the show. It kind of ties everything together. Um, the show is dense with music. It feels like there's rock music playing in like eighty percent. Yeah, the basically episode. there is. Yeah, it's 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 so good. And every episode ends with the same song. Yep. Which, if I'm not mistaken, plays in its entirety. Correct. And it just plays over whatever the climax of that episode is. And that, it's from... Oh, the not the credit song. Yes. The, no, no, yeah, sorry. Yes. I mean, during the episode itself. Yes. And then separately. It's called it. Little Busters, is the song. Wait, I thought that one was the one we were listening to earlier. Uh, some, something in the sky, we're, sky thing. Ride on yeah. Shooting Star. Isn't that the one that That's plays? the outro. Oh, that's the outro. That's the credit one. Oh, okay. Yes. I'm getting all mixed up. Um, but there's also, they play Little Busters and the sort of culmination. Little Busters, okay. Yep. Um, Maybe kids don't need the master. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, didn't understand any of the lyrics because they, they do have heavy it's, Japanese It's with a keepsake of the future. Uh-huh. Maybe kids don't need the masters. Interesting. They're waiting for the little busters. Oh, yeah. That does feel thematically appropriate. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. I mean, it's so, it, the lyrics so simple, but with the music behind it, and you really get that, that feeling... Um, I don't know. It's great. It's so it's simple, but it's so powerful to be with the yeah. animation over it. It's... Well, that song in particular has such an uplift, mm-hmm. and so I think if you didn't play that song at the end of every episode, it, the show could feel a little depressing. Mm. Um, there's something about every episode builds up to this really joyful sound, um, you know, joyful and exciting, and and it really I don't know. It really kind of sculpts that experience. Mm. The role of music in film and TV in general is uh, is is just mind blowing because it, it can tr- it can change everything. It can absolutely transform the way you experience a scene or a whole movie. Mm. Um, obviously, it's something that I've played with a lot myself, making my own stuff. But it, it blows your mind the way you can you can in a way create meaning or even create story mm. just by the choice of music. Um, and this is a show that leans into that really, really heavily. That was a sort of another gripe I had with the Winter Soldier episode. Okay. Was when they took the time to do this musical overlay, sort of slow walk when they first enter the bar. Mm. 
I was like, this is cool, but it means nothing to me. <laughs> I, th- I guess, you know, I really just, it, it was those, to do that back to back, like a cool, like Tarantino walking over music scene, almost back to back with a dancing montage scene. You felt a little bit uh, overstyled. It just, it felt like it was trying to be cool. Yeah. But it wasn't, whereas like in Fooly Cooly, it's, it just feels so... So I feel like the show in general just feels so sincere because it's just self-deprecating but wholesome and insane. Yeah, it's insane. It's totally crazy. Let me give you let me give you a little bit of backstory on the show. Please do, yeah. Okay. Because it's in explaining the experience of watching it <laughs> from a naive point of view. It's it's like a drug trip when you didn't know you had taken a drug. It was it was intense. Wait, You're like, why? what am I watching? What is happening? Um, so the creator, it was, it was, uh, I'll, I'll read the name. It's Kazuya Tsurumaki. Mm-hmm. Um, now is he a Japanese fellow? No, he's, uh, <laughs> he's Norwegian. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So what, what's it's the, the story behind this is actually really interesting is that he was, um, the, uh, assistant director for, uh, Neon Genesis Okay. Evangelion. I am familiar vaguely. Okay, so that's a classic anime. Yeah, and it's that's that that's a sort of in it's a it's a coming of age. This one kid is the only one who can pilot the robot, and Mm. um, it has these elements of you know he's sort of just going through puberty and feeling adult feelings, and um, um, it's really it's trippy, uh, really cool show, but it's um it's really old old school feeling and you know he's um uh had surrounded there's these older women characters and he's like trying to navigate his sort of coming of age Mm. um and like sexuality and uh and so you can see those themes right in fully coolly like yeah but it's just like totally insane riff so so he was the assistant director on that Mm -hmm. and then this was his first um, lead creator role, director, okay. creator. Um, and so he took, he took this common thread of like these fantastic coming of age stories and just flipped it on its head. And I just think it's so, um, oh, what's all, what's also interesting is that, um, his first project ever was in fact, Nadia of the Blue Water. Really? Yeah, which is what what you and Devin have both told me was the the you're like, well, we've seen one anime. Yeah. So when we were ten years old, sorry, when we were ten, when I was ten years old, <laughs> and Devin was whatever. Why like, does he age so slowly? <laughs> I don't know. He's always been behind. He's always been behind me. Uh, when I was ten, and, and Devin was, I guess, seven, uh, we lived in France, and we would watch cartoons in French. And there was, I think it was only one Japanese cartoon that was in the rotation. And it was this kind of Jules Verne-esque sci-fi adventure mm-hmm. called Nadia, the Secret of Blue Water. Ah, right, yeah. Or in French, Nadia, le sucre de l'eau bleue. Uh, <laughs> and we loved this show. It was pretty dark. The main character was a young girl. So mm-hmm. I guess it was maybe for kids. And I think I had a total crush on her. Um, but it was pretty dark and, and, uh, violent and mature, you know, or at least I felt that way at the time. Um, it wasn't frivolous and I thought it was really 
good as well. So um, this was his this um, his first job uh, was, was getting on, coffee for was was work yeah um, he was a um, he was actually he was the, an animation director so oh, okay. he, he he you know stepped right into power wow I stand corrected um, that's super cool I had no idea that isn't that an interesting I didn't know that yeah. either until I was just looking up some information to to tell you just such a weird coincidence that is. So yeah, so that I don't know when that show came out. I know when we were watching it, it was around nineteen ninety one. I'm guessing it came out around that time. Although maybe it took a while to reach France. Um, it came out in ninety. So okay, yeah, and then Fooly Cooly is around two thousand, right? The, at least the Japanese version came out in two thousand. Yeah, yep, yeah. So a pretty pretty good gap there. Yeah. yeah, but it's 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 just it's such an interesting and so and there's, um, there's um, some other there's other standout animes that have happened sort of over the years mm-hmm. that are also sort of connected by threads to Fooly Cooly, which is really interesting. That's cool. There's the show Kill a Kill, which is, um, totally ridiculous um like high schoolers with living swords i can't exactly remember but it's it's insane sounds good and it's got the wild sort of animation style yeah and um and that was made by people who were hired to remake fully cooly they they did some some follow-up seasons yeah so there's two more seasons but they're not the original i saw that yeah i looked it up and they so were, they're, they're made, two sequels yeah made well after Right, twenty eighteen. Yeah, I think because it was just such a, it became such a cult hit. Yeah. Um, and there's also the pillows, also music in there. Cool. Not as expertly woven in. Mm. I had actually never watched it up until I watched a few episodes um, just this past week. Oh, okay. It was fine. I I will watch it. Um, it had a new protagonist, which is interesting. Yeah. Um, so they kept the kind of. The, you know the the weirdo alien girl character who comes in and stirs everything up. Yeah. But the high school student that she's messing with is a completely different yeah. person. Um, I watched the first few episodes. It seems like a pretty superficial sort of rehash of the same thing. Yeah. Whereas, which is sad because one of the things that's so great about Fooly Cooly and I love stuff like this, is stories that hint at a much broader story. Right. And Fulikuli does that so well. You don't know what the hell's going on, but they talk about things happening in space with no uh, explanation. Yeah, I, I wasn't sure to what extent that element was sort of parody because it was so extreme the way they're kind of gesturing at this larger conflict that you have no information about. Yeah. And that conflict has unimaginably high stakes. Yeah. It, it felt it felt so out there that I wasn't sure if it was almost kind of a joke. I think a lot of the show is a joke. Yeah. That's what's so great about it. it but it's a joke. They ride this really fine line. Should we try to explain, for the benefit of our listeners, what the story of this thing is? I could give a little... Um, a little overview, and that's another thing that's so, that's so um, that's so interesting is uh, um, well, I'll just go I'll just go into it. So yeah, go into it. Because um, I don't think I could explain the story to save my life, and I just watched this. So there, 
Apparently, they're sort of intergalactic beings flying around with mo- with guitars that have combustion engines built into them. Right. Um, and if they slam people in the forehead with them, right. it the something with the sound waves open use the two different sides of their brain mm. to open up a interdimensional gateway right. that things can travel through. Okay. Um, and, and is that based on real science? Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. Um, uh, and so the, the protagonist, Nauta, gets smashed in the head. Right. And um, it start, what starts as a bump, eventually you know, a robot pops out of his forehead. Right. And then more robots start popping out, and those robots fight each other. It turns out that his head somehow is uniquely proficient mm-hmm. at creating these portals. Yeah. Yes. And so he's especially useful uh, and, and, to these interdimensional... Yeah, and you could see right there that theme of, of which, is, which is in a lot of sci-fi anime, of the, that um, it's, it's the, the young kids who are able to do something great. Right. And the adults are too... They're too, um, too far gone to yeah. really be... Well, it seems like there's a possible metaphor there with imagination or creativity, right? Yeah. The idea that something fantastical could sprout out of your head. Yes. That's a fairly literal representation of something like making an anime. Yeah. Um, so it feels like there, there is a, a layer there. But, but part of what's, I think, interesting about the show is it, there is a, you know, the way you describe it, there is a wish fulfillment element, right? Like, I'm the one who can create the portals. I'm the one with the power, right? But the experience of the main character is overwhelmingly that he's kind of disaffected, he's alienated, he's mm. he's bored. He doesn't he's not excited about any of this. Yeah, which is so real to me. <laughs> it it feels so much like I, I almost felt like the whole show was a metaphor. Like none of this was literally ha- I felt like almost like there was a story behind the story. Like the real story of the show was just a kid dealing with his hormones, you know, his, his mother's dead and his father's a jerk and he, you know, he doesn't know who he is and he doesn't know if anyone loves him and he wants to have sex, but he doesn't want to have sex. And I almost felt like the real story of it was just alienated youth hanging out in a, in a sort of faceless Japanese city. And then all the fantastical stuff, which is played as completely real in the show, mm-hmm. it, it, it felt like it wasn't meant to be taken literally. It felt like maybe none of that was really happening, even though it's depicted as if it totally is. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's one of the things that makes the show so great is that it really is just a story of this kid growing up. Yeah. And it's so exciting to watch because of all the bells and whistles, but I think his, his character is, is really more real in that sense, like what you said. Because it's really just a story of, you know, he's dealing with his father and grandfather. He's dealing with growing up. His his older brother has left yeah. to go play baseball in the States. Um, yeah, and I kept thinking that something was going to happen with the older brother. I kept thinking that that plot thread was maybe central or important. I think it was just, it was just, it, it makes the sort of high school girl character... It, it rationalizes why they would be hanging out. Right. And so it, it really, it's really all rolled into one. You have this adult character, um, 
you have all the sort of hormonal feelings one kid could have all mm. happening in one show. You have the adult age character, you have the older girl character, and then you have the peer character. Right. And it's sort of so. There's a, there's harem anime. Have you heard of this? I have, and I was thinking about that as yeah. I watched. Yeah. So it sort of plays like that, but I think it's much more genuine. Like it's really just about how to tell a story of all these different feelings one person could have. In a six-episode run. Right. So in the harem formula, you've got a main character who could be either a boy or a girl. Mm -hmm. And the gimmick of the show, usually they're fairly light sort of sex comedies, usually set in high school. Mm. And the story is all about how every one of the opposite sex wants this one person, who's usually quite ordinary, right? Mm -hmm. They're usually not that special, Mm -hmm. but for some reason, just because it's the formula, everyone gravitates. It's a little bit like Archie Comics, right? He's only got two. Yes. But the whole gimmick of Archie Comics is Betty wants him and Veronica wants him, and they'll both always want him forever. Yeah. And so that's kind of like a micro If there was a third, people wouldn't have read it. It would have been burned. It would have been burned. (laughs) That's too much in the 1950s in America. Uh, Right, but so my understanding is in anime, you know, it might be like six different women or or eight different women. Yeah, but in this this show, I don't think it's it's cheap or gimmicky. I think it's just... It's just to really explore those relationships for his character... Right. And to really like have, you know, because he has a different relationship with each character and they each feel pretty fleshed out. They take in a six episode, they take the time to sort of, um, um, go through each relationship and I think how he, how he, uh, experiences them. Yeah. Well, and then I think it's importantly, he doesn't end up with any of them. Yeah. Um, and it's not this fun open-ended thing of like, oh, well, you know, who knows who he'll choose? It's not the Betty and Veronica thing. It's like by the end of the show, no, he's just alone. Yeah. You know, you know, two of them have left. The third one is just kind of making fun of him and he, he's kind of back where he started. Yeah, I think I th- it's it's sort of just, um, I th- and I think that's sort of how, how life works. You know, you feel these super strong feelings and it feels like the end of the world, but at the end of the day, you know, you just sort of soldier through and go about right. your day. Yeah, I, I think in a way it's it's the most viscerally honest uh, depiction of adolescence that I've ever seen. Um, because it it actually feels like adolescence. You're like, oh, well, I didn't have this experience where robots grew out of my brain. <laughs> right? But I did have that experience of nothing around me makes any kind of sense. Mm. And I'm somewhat irritated by all of it. But I also don't want to disconnect. Actually, I, I'm deeply desirous of connection, and I have no idea how to express that. And if I feel lust, it's probably going to make me lash out at someone instead of drawing me closer. Yeah. And I'm consumed by lust, but I'm also terrified of sexuality. It's like... It's, I just think it's... I just think they did... I think it's a masterpiece. I think they did such a great job. It's totally wild. Yeah, I, there were moments when I couldn't decide if I loved or hated the show. There were, <laughs> there were moments when I was really frustrated by it. Yeah. Um, like it, the it, manga sections. Yeah, yeah. It, it's The style's all over the place. It all moves so fast. Apparently, the director said he was trying to evoke the style of a commercial. <laughs> so it wasn't supposed to feel like a television show. It's supposed to feel like a commercial with just like way too much information coming at you. Mm. But of course, instead of for 30 or 60 seconds, it's for 20 minutes. Yeah. Which is overwhelming. <laughs> um, yeah. And then there's this manga thing where suddenly without warning, the whole scene will just play out in these still images with the camera kind of zooming around over a page. Which is interesting because the show was never in comic form. 
Oh, it wasn't? No. I thought I thought I read that there was a manga of it. No, they after the fact, they wrote a novelization of it. Oh, okay. But but it was created as an anime. Right. Which is which is why it's just so silly to put in those sort of manga sections. Yeah. Because it never most anime, a huge percentage is based on a paper form originally. Right. But this was not. But this one they chose to sort of pretend that it was. Yeah. So they wrote all those comic pages f- for fun mm-hmm. as kind of a joke. It's just, it's really interesting. It's just, it's it's wacky. It's really hard to describe or explain just how out there this show is. A lot of the time I genuinely didn't know what was happening. Although, I was comforted by this. I found a quotation. This, I believe, is from the director of the show. He said... Comprehension should not be an important factor in Fooly Cooly. <laughs> so, so now I feel like I'm off the hook. I, I definitely did not comprehend it, uh, but I wasn't supposed to. No, it's it, there's there like a, there's a lot that just is not explained or totally ridiculous. Um, doesn't make any sense. It's more like you were saying. It's a visceral thing. I think it's you're just supposed to sort of buckle up and just feel it. Yeah. Yeah, and it does have a, it has an extraordinary visceral impact. And I can easily imagine being a teenager in the early 2000s watching it uh, on Adult Swim, which is how, I guess, yep. American teenagers discovered it. Um, I can imagine it just being everything. Yeah. You know, it's... And can you imagine it on weed? <laughs> <laughs> no, frankly, no. <laughs> it feels redundant at that point. That's how Jon Stewart watched it. He watched it on weed. Yeah. Good for him. What a what a brave pioneer he is! Uh, yeah, it's um, it's uh, it feels like a fever dream. You know, every everything's kind of hypersexualized, but but nothing really sexual happens. Mm. Uh, which again, that's that's adolescence for you. Yeah, uh, it's extremely subversive and irreverent. But then there are these kind of strangely earnest moments. There are beautiful moments. I mean, some of the backgrounds, especially, are just gorgeous yeah know. I think yeah the, the city art is it, yeah I think a lot of the animation is it cuts between being like cobbled together with sticks yeah to being like these 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 beautiful illustrations like the the backdrop is like when the steam is emitting yeah from the giant hand iron that is like the the, the factory yeah um and the the one one episode in particular after it first comes out and the next episode the whole town is covered in mist and it's just like this dream I just think it's beautiful yeah no it really is beautiful and it and it evokes something very specific um, yeah it's uh it's uh it's such a strange sort of kaleidoscope of things I really think it's it's unique and I think that uh, I think it's a real gem. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I would agree with that. I, I, you know, I don't, I didn't love everything about it. There were moments when I felt alienated by the show itself. Like, <laughs> like this, this is too much. Now you're just effing with me. Yeah. Um, but it's boy, it's hard not to respect the kind of the the adventurousness of it, the originality of it, and and yeah, the conviction. Like these people just knew exactly what it was that they wanted. It almost feels like it was made by a teenager, just somebody who doesn't care about the rules and, yeah. and would, would break them if he knew them and maybe doesn't even know them. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's very punk rock in a sense. It is very. Um, it's neat. One thing I should point out, which which is the which is the biggest. So, in comparing it to the sort of harem series or the Neon Genesis, mm-hmm. this idea that this young boy has to save the world. Yeah. Um, is. And in, in they're, they're toying with that idea in this show. And, and so I think it's episode two or three. He's really starting to feel full of himself. And mm. they're like, oh, are you the one who saved the city? He's <laughs> like, huh, it was nothing. But he starts, that episode, he starts to really sort of get the dark side yeah. to him. And then everyone's like, oh, are you piloting the robot? Oh my gosh, you're so cool. And, and then it's discovered that the robot just poops him out. <laughs> oh, no, sorry. The robot the robot poops him out in the first episode. Right. So the robot eats him and then becomes supercharged. Uh-huh. And the concept is like, is like the Neon Genesis thing. Like, oh, this kid is the one piloting the robot. But then it's revealed that he wasn't. He's he just was, kind of a food source. He was, yeah, he was just... And then, and then there's a scene where the robot shoots this sort of beam out. Mm-hmm. And it hits a billboard, right? Mm-hmm. And then the whole battle continues. And this is right after Nauta's feeling like he's the savior, like he's so cool. Mm-hmm. And the whole battle rages on. And then it pans over and he was just the bullet. Huh. He was just the bullet and the gun. I didn't and the catch ro- that at all. And the robot, was just, <laughs> the robot was just doing its own thing. Well, I totally, yeah. See, I didn't follow that. Yeah, so it's, <laughs> this great, it's a great commentary on using that sort of, the kid who saves the world. Right. But but then they're like, no, he's not. Yeah. He's just, he's connected to it. Um, and he is, you know, the unique character and the protagonist, but he's not the Gundam pilot or, right. or, or like, doing Yeah, in many ways he's just kind of a tool. Yeah, which I think mm-hmm. is a, just another great example of what makes this show different is, is that it takes, you have that moment of like, Oh, this kid is like piloting the robot, like a lot of other anime. But then it's it's revealed that he's not at all. He's just a kid, right? Um, who's just in over his head in every way possible. Yeah, well, there's a piece of narration that comes back several times, which is uh, in pretty stark contrast to all of the fantastical elements that the, Naoto says. I think at least three times in the show, uh, nothing amazing happens here. Mm. So you have all this stuff going on that is objectively <laughs> totally amazing. But his feeling remains sort of boredom and mediocrity and and this sort of like uh, frustration that he can't even really put a name on. And and I think that's part of what made me feel like, okay, all these sci-fi elements are in some sense imaginary. Like, not that there has to be one or the other, not that there has to be an answer of like what's really happening, Mm -hmm. but there's certainly a version of this story where he's just a kid living a very boring life. Yeah. Um, and everything else is like, is something that he's experiencing, but that isn't necessarily objectively yeah. real. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's, um, like a, like an Alice in Wonderland kind of thing. Right. Yeah. Where at the end she wakes, or Wizard of Oz or both. I can't remember. I'm being confused at the end. It was it all just a dream does that matter? Yeah. You, know, you still, as a viewer, we still get to watch the f- the first person experience or the third person of 
and 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 was it real? Was it not? Um, yeah, and in his case, it it really doesn't matter because either he saved the world or he didn't. Either he was a hero or he was a pawn. Mm. No matter what, he just ends up in middle school, you know, with a cute girl who just makes fun of him, mm. and a, and an irresponsible dad and no mom. You know, he's he's exactly back where he started. Yeah, I think the I think the the interactions with his father and grandfather are so spot on where. You have these sort of irreverent adult types who are being crude around a small child. Yeah. And, and the kid is trying to like, you know, it, it's just a great example of how kids are just, they're just exposed to things, whether they're ready to handle it or not. Yeah. And the effect that has on them. Like, we don't know how kids process some of the things that they're exposed to, like, adult jokes, etc. You know, we don't really know how that affects them. And I think this show has a great commentary on just like what it's just so out of control growing up. Yeah, well I think the other <laughs> interesting insight is the adult characters, I think without exception, are just as screwed up as the kid, if not more. Yeah. They're all driven by libido, they're all driven by pride, they're all pathetic, they all want to be noticed. Um, they're all kind of clueless. They're all kind of ridiculous. So it's not this world where, oh, you just have to get through your adolescence and then you're going to be cool. <laughs> it's like, no, we're all struggling with the same stuff. We're yeah. all, we're all, you know, the, the one character who maybe doesn't fit into that category is the, I can't remember her name, but the, you know, the alien girl who's sort of the catalyst for everything. Mm. Um, and she never quite loses her cool. But she also doesn't seem really human. She doesn't really seem to have human feelings, or she does and then she doesn't. And uh, and then at the end, we learn that what was driving her the whole time was a romantic obsession. So even though she doesn't seem pathetic the way everybody else does, actually her motivation is pretty petty. She's in love with this you know weird transcendent celestial being following him all all over the universe. He's supposed to be her enemy, but then she fell in love. <laughs> so. So it's almost like, you know, adolescent sexual frustration is like the underlying principle of the entire universe. <laughs> uh, I think the episode where where they're battling is so good. So so they're all they all of a sudden they find themselves on different sides of the battle. Now to ends up with Adam's power. And oh, right. She's upset and so they're fighting all of a sudden. Yeah. And um then he's, and I love the uh, the guitar. So the um, I'll get to that after. But um, so they're battling, and he's zoom is zooming at her, ready for an attack, and he just stops, right, and just like hands her the guitar, and just tells her tells her that he loves her, and just like I think there's moments like that in the show that are just so strong. Yeah, it really chokes me up. Yeah, and I, I I'm not sure we ever really answered the question of whether she's just using him or whether she also has some feelings for him. Um, she certainly does seem to be pretty ruthless. She says that she doesn't care what happens to the entire world. Mm, yeah. And seems to mean it. <laughs> so, I don't know. I guess she's a monster. I mean, isn't that kind of, like, I mean, how, you're talking about like an adult and a child, you know, how much reciprocation could there really be? You know, yeah, she's obviously not in love with him. He's just a kid. Yeah, and so she's just there with her own agenda. But I definitely think on some level she appreciates him. 
but obviously it it could she could never love him. It's not mm. you know, that type of story. Um, but so he's viewing her in a totally different way. Right. He's seeing her as some sort of equal or like love interest, and you know to to um, to her he's just um, an under evolved ape. Right is what she calls that guy. <laughs> he's a, <laughs> and then he's like, "Oh, that's that's a slur used to demean people from a developing civilization." I just that's such a great moment. Just I just love <laughs> I, I love how it hints at the, the the sort of expansive story, whether it's a joke or not. I think they just sprinkle it in just enough to where your imagination can kind of let loose. Yeah, and think of that like, oh, there's this whole other story maybe or maybe not but i I like that it feels broad like that in it yeah i think that's always a cool thing when you can imply a larger world and and even you know especially with just a few strokes uh well so i don't know did we do it did we do fully coolie i would i would like to talk a little bit more about the music yeah i think um so when we were talking about it about the show, that this theme of the the guitars mm. is a real prominent theme. Right. He's uh, they're pulling guitar. They start to pull guitars out of. Um, they pull a guitar out of his forehead. Right. And it's it's like the Gibson SG, and everyone's like, "Oh my god, <laughs> it's the Gibson S." Um, and so, well, that is way cooler than just pulling an enormous robot out of your head. Um, <laughs> I think it's just a really cool... I think rock music is so important in the show mm. for the backdrop. But then also the idea that these guitars are objects of power right. is such a real thing for, for adolescents and teenagers and me yeah. still. Like, yeah. Um, that they're these... Um, uh, you know, we, we admire uh, rock stars and musical stars and... And I just think that's such a cool little addition to the story that that the guitar is like this object of extreme power and like when he's holding it, he has this like intergalactic power yeah. imbued into him and um and just, then just the fact that like I said, the rock music as the backdrop. Yeah. The whole thing plays like a music video. Yeah, it kinda does. And then to have it I I think it just is showing sort of the power of rock music for, for kids also. Right. Um, and how it can mean so much and feel so important and powerful. Yeah. I think it's cool. It's done with the music and with the story. No, that's a good call. Yeah. And I think that it does speak to what rock music represents or at least used to represent. I, I don't know whether young kids today are, uh, are as moved by it as, uh, as we used to be, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is this incredibly liberating sound. You know, I remember hearing what Green Day in the early days. Mm. For me, that was one of those bands. It just felt, uh, I don't know, just felt alive, felt cool. Um, it sort of encapsulated what it was to be young and vibrant and, and rebellious, right? You know, because your parents don't like it, or at least you hope they don't like it. Mm. Um, but yeah, the music... From the show, The Pillows. Yeah. Strong recommend. Absolutely. <clears throat> they have a, <clears throat> a ton of albums. And they became more of an international hit in the aftermath of this show. Yeah. Apparently it gave them a real boost to yeah. their visibility. And they just kept kept recording and they have 
like 20 albums, maybe more. Yeah. Uh, and singles and um, really good. I, I have listened to a ton of their albums and I like them all. I think the upshot for this episode, uh, for our listeners who are still listening, is that we, we <laughs> strongly recommend The Pillows if you like music. And we strongly recommend Fooly Cooly if you like having your brain put through uh, a pasta strainer. And we definitely recommend Dutch Babies if you like <laughs> delicious pancakey baked things. But again, to be clear, we are not advocating the consumption of actual babies, regardless of their nation of origin. Should I mention to our audience that I have got my first dose of the Moderna vaccine? No. Oh, shoot. <laughs> the cat is out of the bag. Yeah, and I, I'm actually going uh, tomorrow afternoon. Oh, fantastic. Or is it today? Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Yeah. Great. So get vaccinated, everybody. Uh, they will not kill you. They are not full of, full of microchips. They will not rewrite your DNA. Uh, they are vaccines, and uh, everyone should get them. Uh, and I think that's our episode. Yeah, do you have any anything looking forward for the show? Oh, yeah, I, d- I did maybe have something in, in my brain. Uh, I mean, I assume we'll talk about the Winter Soldier again. We'll do Winter Soldier we'll again. Keep... Keep just keep drumming that. Beating that horse. Disney Plus, ladies and gentlemen. Disney Plus, Disney Plus, Disney Plus. Nine ninety nine. Uh, I'm gonna have to give it some thought. I did have a notion, and now I can't remember what it was. So I'm gonna have to give it some thought. But yes, we'll see what it is. We'll see what happens. Okay. Tune in next week to see what happened. We're ending this one on a cliffhanger, <laughs> and.